Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, welcome to the Red Box podcast. I'm Matt Trotty bringing you the best of my Times Radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. You can listen to the whole thing on the Times Radio app, if that's the sort of thing that you like. Um, uh, thank you to loads of you who've been posting nice comments on uh, on iTunes where you've been or the apple podcast or whatever it's called where you get your podcast from um lots of you've been very nice saying you've recently discovered us uh you've discovered us on the podcast or uh on the radio so it's lovely to have you uh along uh now then on today's show it's happy birthday to the house of commons uh, 70 years ago today uh, the commons chamber was reopened uh, after it was destroyed in the bombing in uh, the Blitz in uh, 1941. Uh, so to mark that, I've been speaking to um, the common speaker, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, about the history of the building and whether or not the time has come to no longer have the the division, you, you know, with the government on one side and the opposition on the other. We also speak to an SNP MP who thinks that the time has come for us to have a, a sort of circular, continental-style uh, debating chamber. But if you were listening to uh, my Times Radio show a few weeks ago, we actually did the show from Parliament when MPs came back from their summer recess. So I thought it'd be quite nice just to kick off um, uh, this episode of the podcast with a little tour of the Commons Chamber. Guess where I am right now. Uh, what about if I said, order, order? Yes, I'm in the Speaker's chair in the House of Commons chamber. The, the chair was actually a gift from Australia. Uh, in fact, quite a lot of the chamber is made up of gifts from around the world, uh, from the Commonwealth in particular. The big table in the middle of the chamber uh, was actually a gift from Canada. And uh, listen to this. That is the sound of the dispatch box where I'm standing right now. Okay, so let's uh, continue the tour of the Commons. There's the cradle where the mace uh, would normally be. That's only uh, that's only bought in when the Commons is actually sitting, which will be from two thirty uh, today. Uh, now I've been reporting on uh, Parliament for fifteen years uh, this month. I used to sit in the gallery up there to my left uh, for the press association, try to write down everything that 
everyone was saying and try to work out who everyone was. Uh, the first thing you notice actually when you come into the chamber, whether it's up in the gallery or even standing down here in the Commons Chamber itself, is how much smaller it looks uh, than it does on TV. That's the wide-angle cameras uh, and the camera angles that make it all look much smaller. Uh, and then walking down the chamber now, there's uh, on the carpet there's the, the, the usual red line which is always there. Uh, that separates MPs. Now some people will tell you that's where the phrase towing the line comes from. Uh, but I, that's not actually quite right. Uh, they, they, it's claimed that MPs uh, have to stand two sword lengths apart with only words uh, to settle their arguments. It's a great story, but like quite a lot of the th stories about Parliament, it's not quite true. MPs have never been allowed to bring their swords into the chamber. And in fact, out in the cloakroom, there are pink ribbons for MPs to hang up their swords. Uh, so then we get to the bar of the houses where MPs have to come in and acknowledge the chair, by, usually by nodding to the speaker. Even the bar of the house is a gift that came from uh, Jamaica. And then out through the entrance doors, uh, the doors they came from uh, Pakistan. It was a real uh, global effort, uh, uh, this one. Outside, two enormous signs, I on one side, no on the other. It's all to direct MPs towards the, um, the new voting system that they have to go through uh, these days. Uh, and although uh, parts of Parliament date back, what was it, 900 years, Westminster Hall was built in 1097, uh, the Commons Chamber is actually relatively new. It was rebuilt following the bombing uh, in the Blitz. Out through uh, the doors now into the uh, members' lobby uh, outside, where MPs, they have sort of cubby holes and information boards, there's a big uh, statue of Winston Churchill uh, standing outside uh, the door. Uh, one foot on Winston Churchill is very shiny. Um, in part, uh, that's because MPs used to rub it uh, for good luck when they were uh, um, uh, preparing to make a big speech. Uh, but also because uh, that was such a good story, uh, visitors were told the story, and uh, then quite often uh, they would rub it as well. Now there's a big sign up saying not to touch the statues. That was me touring Parliament last month. Let's stick with Churchill and that Churchill statue uh, for a moment. Actually, just above that Churchill statue, the archway going into the House of Commons is one of the original ones they managed to rescue from the rubble when the Commons uh, was destroyed. And you can see all of the great chunks that were taken out of it when the, uh, the bombing uh, took place. Well, after the Commons was destroyed... Uh, Churchill, the wartime Prime Minister, of course, was very clear about how it should be rebuilt. Now, in a speech uh, from the House of Lords, because obviously the Commons moved to the House of Lords uh, following the uh, destruction, in 1943, Churchill made a speech calling for the Commons to be rebuilt in all essentials to its old form, convenience and dignity. He added it should be oblong and not semicircular and should be basically too small to sit all the MPs in order to generate conversational style and the facility for quick informal interruptions and interchanges. Well, one man who agrees with that today is the common speaker, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, who's been explaining the significance of today's anniversary, 70 years after the Commons was rebuilt. Well, it, it, it really is important, isn't it? You know, in the height of the war, with the, the Luftwaffe was out, 1941, the bombs were raining down on London but actually hit the House of Commons chamber and completely took out the chamber. You know, this Victorian chamber was just the ashes next day. MPs had to move to the Lords. And of course, the one thing is that this was hitting democracy. Everything that we were standing against, Hitler and the oppression of the Nazi movement. And this was all being discussed in the Commons and suddenly the Commons is wiped out. And of course, quite rightly, Churchill said, we must reopen this chamber. The architect was Sir Charles Gilbert Scott, who was so important to this, reshaping. But as Churchill said, he wanted a chamber in the way that it was. He wanted it to be replicated like the old chamber. And that's a real challenge 
And in fairness to Gilbert Scott, we can now see his work, we can see the value of the work, and to think that this is the anniversary. So important to the House, so important 70 years later, we are using this magnificent chamber. It is, in case anyone hasn't ever seen it before, it is remarkable, those uh, photographs of just how bad the damage to the chamber was. People might look at the chamber these days and think, well, you know, it's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, but it's because it was such a careful recreation of what was there before, because the, I mean, there was almost nothing left, was there, of the, the, the centre of the chamber? That's right, absolutely nothing, just the walls that were standing and nothing else. And the fact, you know, at that time could easily have been you know, let's move, let's get away from London, let's not come back. The fact was that we stayed with the House of Commons. The fact that the five people on duty managed to ensure that the rest of the buildings didn't get destroyed, like the fire of 1834. So that in itself was a magnificent achievement. And the fact that we got that chamber finished in October 1950 was quite an amazing feat when the rest of the country had to be built at the same time. So you're absolutely right. It looks like it's part of the Victorian era, far from it. The one thing that is very telling is how the Commonwealth came together and to ensure that the chamber was kitted out. Speaker's chair from Australia, the doors from India, Canada, everybody played the parts. The Inkwells, I think, was from St Lucia. You know, it was a magnificent feat that everybody pulled together to ensure the home of the democracy was rebuilt, re-established for all to see, but all wanted to play their part right across the Commonwealth. Uh, like you mentioned, Churchill in particular was very keen that the, the Commons chamber be recreated as it was. You know, he, he liked the adverse adversarial nature of it with the opposing sides uh, and all of that sort of thing. Do you think that, because uh, actually most parliaments and uh, uh, assemblies around the world now do have a more sort of semicircular or circular, and it's a bit more consensual and inclusive. Do you think that, that it's still the right thing having that, that opposition, um, you know, facing the government in, the, in that way? I, I think it is pretty unique, isn't it? You know, you, you look at the European Parliament, uh, Magnificent for a modern building, but it's nothing like the House of Commons chamber, is it? The House of Commons designed on the church, if you look at it, it's got that real feel, hasn't it? It's got that, let's look into your eyes, let's see what you're really saying, let's look at the meaning of this. And I think it brings out the best, and on some occasions the worst as well, <laughs> but I really do think it helps. Yeah, I probably should ask you about that. Obviously, in the last week or so, we've had uh, we've had uh, evidence of when things get a bit too adverse, uh, adversarial. Um, you know, scum being shouted across the House of Commons. What did you make of that when you saw that? Well, in fairness, I wasn't in the chamber, and uh, we've got a very able chair of ways and means who uh, dealt with the situation at the time. Yeah, it's fair to say, um, uh, Eleanor Lang, um, you know, c- certainly put a stamp on it. <laughs> she was pretty forthright. She was indeed. And in fairness to Damon Eleanor, she she knows the way around, she knows the chamber well, she knows how to deal with problems. And she did. And I think that's what was so important. It's about defusing the situation at the time. It was a very overheated debate. It was important that the debate continued, but you've got to take the heat out of it. And in fairness, that did happen. Do you worry about the, the, the state of debate in the House of Commons? Because actually it was unusual, because... Thanks to social distancing, it's not quite the hullabaloo that perhaps we've been used to in the past. And, um, you know, as a result, a lot of the debates have been a bit more civilised. But are you concerned about, on all sides, you know, the language that people use and MPs on all sides facing abuse in the chamber, outside the chamber? Do MPs need to sort of raise the tone a bit? 
I think I think in fairness, what we've got to do, we want a nicer parliament, want a nicer chamber. But what I do miss, I do the miss the electricity of when the chamber's full. I look forward going back to the days when the benches will be packed again and the humour and the comments and the good nature of it, as well as that immediate electricity that fires from one side to the other. That is missed by all of us. And I do say that, that is genuinely missed. But what's more important at the moment is ensuring the House of Commons continues to work. And so, therefore, we have to put these measures in place because the end goal is that the government has got to get its legislation through and the opposition has got to scrutinise it. So it's so, so important that we do the right things to keep Parliament operating. I suppose I do need to ask you about, as a journalist, I do need to ask you about the bars. Uh, obviously, there was a bit of kerfuffle about the bars. Were they shutting? Weren't they shutting? Uh, uh, and all of that. What? What? How, how do you feel being the first person to make Parliament dry since Oliver Cromwell? Well, I, I think I think one of the sketches of me, the cartoon of me as Cromwell. Uh, I've got to say, it was it was it was humorous, and I take that in good heart. Of course, you have to take tough decisions. Decisions aren't easy. And therefore, it's about doing the right thing to keep Parliament operating. And that's what I've got to do. My challenge is to make sure, as I say, the government get its business through, but also that the opposition can scrutinise it. So is the priority keeping the bar open or keeping Parliament open? It's always going to be keeping Parliament open. Uh, just going back to the chamber then, one of the most amazing things is that the, the chamber was destroyed in 1941 and it had been through the whole process of you know, architects and designers and being built and then officially re reopened by the King nine years later. I feel like we've spent more than nine years talking about the refurbishment of the chamber this time round. What's going on with that? Is there any prospect of... Because, you know, you and I both know bits tend to fall off around the chamber and out, out around the parliamentary building. Um, what, what is the latest on, on Parliament being uh, getting its refurb? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? You're quite right when you talk about the time it... it... It's taken for us to even start doing any work, but the fact is that they managed to get the building repaired, rebuilt, reopened. But the thing that was also interesting, it was still twice the original budget. So the problems <laughs> we have, we have now, they certainly have there as well. Uh, but what I would say is, look, things are moving on. It is about getting uh, renewal and restoration underway of Parliament. We've got to do that. It's about starting with the Northern Estate that's now started. We are doing things, as you, as you can see, Big Ben or the Queen Elizabeth Tower, you know, that in itself is now seeing the scaffolding coming down. So we are getting on with R&R, &R, and that's what's important. We can't just let, let bits drop off the building without doing that work. So work has started. It is underway, and we've got to continue with that work. I want to see that work done and make sure it's done to a standard that, we, that will benefit the next 100 years afterwards. And obviously, the thing about the, the, the current chamber, the work needs to be done there. Uh, actually, some of it is to reverse the work that was done 70-odd um, years ago. You know, it was it was all very high-tech, the ventilation and the heating and, and the asbestos and all of that. And actually, that's that's what needs to come out there. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that they, that they put phone lines in there, you know, quite amazing, really. You know, in fairness to Gilbert Scott, it, it, you know, was ingenious, working for a very tight space and putting at that day, high-tech technology into the chamber. And what we've got to do is reverse some of those works that's been done. We've got to make a chamber that is safe for the future. And as you're absolutely spot on, we do need to make sure that we get that asbestos stripped out as soon as possible. We rebuild the chamber. I'd like to see the chamber in the way that we see it now for the future. 
that looks just the same, but actually will have modern technology installed within it. And it would be nice to have a heating system that when you say, can we have it warm, it gets warm. And when we want it cool, it's cool. It seems to work the opposite way around most of the year. But there we are. Who am I to complain? I think it's so important, the Chamber to us, that we must get it right for the future. Uh, I mean, obviously, some, there has been some new technologies coming in uh, recent weeks and months with the extra screens for MPs to take part virtually. Is this, is this the new normal for the, for the time being? Debates, maybe even votes being held remotely, given the, 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 the number of restrictions and different parts of the country being under different restrictions. If, you know, MPs probably best not be travelling across the country. Well, well, I would say, it, I come back to my original statement, we've got to do the right things that keep Parliament going. Because in the end, it is about making sure that legislation is carried and that people can oppose that legislation. I think that's my key. It is about debate, keeping that going. And at the moment, we're having to do different things. I am looking forward, and I hope it's not that far away, that we do have normality, that we do get back to a chamber, as I said, where people do attend, people take part in the chamber, that we have a very packed chamber. The only thing I would say is I think some benefits of the voting by your past reader, I think is something that I'd love to see for the future. I think what we will do, will reflect on what has been good, what works, and is this the right way to carry on? And I think that comes not from me, that comes from a debate within Parliament. What do they want to see? What type of Parliament do they want for the future? I believe it's where we was with some extra technology within that. And just finally, how will you be celebrating the 70th anniversary of the Commons? I suppose it's, we've all been used to singing happy birthday while washing our hands, but are you having a cake? <laughs> I think it would be nice, wouldn't it? You know, It'd be nice to see the palace made as a cake. You know, it, it's, it's something different, let's put it this way. I definitely think it'll be a nice cup of tea. A piece of cake to go with it wouldn't be a bad thing. You know the Tory Whips office are very good at producing lemon cake. I'm waiting for the competition come, to come from the Labour Whips office. You know, we may get the lemon cake delivered. I'd love to see what the Labour Whips office will deliver. Your Red Box podcast continues in a moment, but I need to tell you not to miss out on our flash sale. You can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times with 50% off for six months. But the sale ends this Friday, the 30th of October at 5pm. Just search thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Uh, well, that was the speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, there talking about um, 
didn't know that. There's obviously some sort of bake-off contest going on between uh, the Tory whips uh, and the Labour. We should definitely, we should definitely get that um, uh, organised in the coming weeks. Uh, now, uh, Lindsay Hoyle, very clearly a fan of keeping the Commons just as it is, as Winston Churchill was 70 years ago, with the government on one side, the opposition on the other, and lots of shouting in between. But is that the right way um, to have a chamber set up in the 21st century? I'm joined now by the SNP MP and actually deputy leader of the SNP in Westminster, Kirsten Oswald. Uh, morning, Kirsten. Morning. Uh, nice to have you with us. What do you think? Is the, is the Commons chamber in its current form fit for the 21st century? No, it's not really. Um, you know, it's, it's fascinating to listen to Lindsay Hoyle talking about the, the history of the chamber. It's obviously a very interesting historic building, uh, but no, it, it's not really set up for the the kind of um, the kind of um, parliament that we, we should really be encouraging and the kind of debate that we should be encouraging today. The you know that that uh, very combative style, which having the two benches facing each other, absolutely leads to doesn't necessarily and uh, you know I think that anybody watching it would agree with that doesn't necessarily lead to a constructive or, or positive debate or scrutiny and even just the, the simple fact that it deliberately doesn't have enough seats in it for all of the MPs you know it's it's not how you would set it up now is it and there are other and, and better ways of setting up um, a parliamentary chamber if you look at the the EU Parliament, if you look at, at Holyrood, if you look, you know, our Scottish Parliament, that uh, much more collaborative style, um, even just reflected in how and where people sit, I think does lead to better scrutiny and better debate. It was interesting when I was uh, looking into this feature, obviously to mark the centenary anniversary, looking back the, um, when uh, Churchill uh, talked about um, in 1943, gave a speech in the, what was then obviously the House of Lords because the Commons was in the House of Lords. He was adamant that not only should we keep the the, um, the oblong shape and not the semicircular, we didn't like all the sort of continental idea of semicircle, but he, he really interestingly, he, he pushed to make sure there wasn't room for everyone to sit down uh, because he thought if there was room for all the MPs, it would be too big. And basically, you know, because let's be honest, in uh, most of the time, uh, debates take place with not, you know, the chamber isn't full anyway. But also we like to create that sort of hubbub and the noise and the, the sense of a, of a conversation uh, being played out. Uh, do you have some sympathy for that? that some of the, the bigger purpose built semicircular style chambers, they don't have the same buzz about them. I guess you have to think about what the purpose of the <laughs> building is. So, you know, if it is somewhere where we're looking to, to legislate, to have a constructive dialogue, to get to a, a sensible position, I'm not sure that that is particularly well served by this combative chamber where you have people shouting the odds at one another across the uh, the gangway there. So, uh, no, I don't think I do really agree. Um, and I think that, you know, in this day and age, in these times, all of us can probably see the merit in having constructive dialogue and in having um, legislative chambers set up to facilitate that. And, and is there any particular chamber that you've got in mind that you think would be better for um, the UK Parliament? Obviously, you know, at some point, as I was discussing with Lindsay Hall, uh, a refurb programme is uh, expected to, to to be undertaken in Westminster. If you've got anything in anywhere in particular that you think would be better? 
I think that um, if your listeners are ever able to go and have a look at the Scottish Parliament um, in Holyrood, I would really encourage that. It's a, it's a beautiful building. It's very accessible, which I think is really important. You want people to be able to actually participate and feel part of any parliament. And, you know, it is a, a very open, a very much more open building. Obviously not at the moment. No buildings are. But um, in usual times, it's certainly very much more open. And that, I think, also follows through in terms of the way that the chamber is set up. So it is a, a horseshoe style chamber. Uh, the, the way that the committees are set up works differently. Even the way that people are elected there works differently. And all of that is designed to make sure that there is that dialogue, that ability and that necessity to discuss and to come to positions in a, a more collaborative way. I think that that's definitely the, the way forward. I'm not sure that it does any of us any good and I'm not sure it does any good for uh, the, the development of constructive policy and law to be doing that in an atmosphere of constant bickering and a, a very black and white outlook on the world. I think that we can do a wee bit better than that. Well, it's a really um, interesting uh, debate. I suppose, I should, given you are an SNP MP, I should ask you, how, how much longer do you think you will be making the trip to uh, Westminster and the Westminster Parliament? When do you think we might see a, another referendum on Scottish independence? Uh, oh, definitely sooner rather than later, I would say. Um, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see the opinion polls so... Um, so comprehensively and and now in a, a consistent position of people in Scotland looking for independence. I, I think that's um, certainly not surprising from my point of view. I think that there's clearly better ways for us to, to operate um, and many, many more people in Scotland um, are, are seeing that. So I think that the, this long journey that we've been on, uh, we're approaching our destination. What, what do you think it is that's fueling that the uh, shift in the opinion polls? Because in terms of the handling of coronavirus, although Nicola Stone has been praised for the, her presentation uh, skills and you know doing the daily press conference and that sort of thing, actually the death rates aren't wildly different. Both England and Scotland are pursuing regional uh, lockdowns rather than um, national ones. What is it that's fueling that support for, for independence right now, do you think? There's a number of things that I think feed into that. You know, this is a conversation that's been going on for a long time in Scotland, so it's it's not as if it's a, a new discussion um, and people are very keen to, to have the the discussion. I think you mentioned coronavirus. The the thing that really strikes me is that Nicola Sturgeon comes out every day. She does this herself. She comes out every day and she talks about what is happening, why it's happening, what underlies it, where we are aiming to get to. And this is a really hard time. It's a really difficult time for everyone. But to have that leadership from the front, it's very thoughtful, very open, very transparent. And at such a difficult time and such an uncertain time, I do think that that is hugely valuable. And people do value that um, in a, a time of uncertainty, to have someone leading from the front who's listening and making sure that they engage with the population, I think, is really important. The other things that obviously fuel the uh, enthusiasm for independence are, are just that notion that we are not able to, we, we don't get the governments we vote for, for instance. So, you know, Scotland didn't vote for a Conservative government, but there we, we have one in Westminster. We don't get the outcomes that we vote for in other situations too. So in Brexit, Scotland didn't vote for Brexit. No local authority area in Scotland voted for Brexit. The whole country voted by local authority area to remain in the EU. My own area voted 74% to remain in the EU, and yet we're being forced out 
against our will. That doesn't sit well with people. We know that this is going to make us all poorer in economic as well as in social terms. And I think all of these things together really cement for people that appreciation that there are different and better ways that we could do things if we had the ability to make these choices for ourselves. Think of things like furlough, the furlough scheme. We would absolutely like to see that extended. Other countries across Europe are able to do that in a straightforward way. Scotland does not have the economic levers. We do not have the ability to borrow, so we can't do that. We can only do what we are able to do within the permissions, if you like, granted to us by the English Treasury at Westminster. And that is not a constructive way forward, particularly at this difficult time when it would be so much more helpful for us to be able to make the decisions that are most appropriate to the people in Scotland. Well, uh, fascinating to speak to you as Kirsten Oswald, uh, SNP MP, uh, Deputy Leader of the SNP in Westminster. Uh, and that rounds off our marking the 70th birthday of the House of Commons, rebuilt, of course, after the after the Commons Chamber was destroyed in the Blitz. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review at the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, from me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye.